0: Welcome to the Talk Marketing Analysis for Life Sciences podcast with Covalent Bonds. I'm your host, Laura Brown, and I am Chief Effectiveness Officer here at Covalent Bonds HQ. In this podcast, we explore marketing and media analysis for life sciences, touching on topics from marketing data to our guests' biggest marketing failures and successes, because it is in learning from others that the magic happens. Hi, today I'm joined by the VP of Marketing and Strategic Partnerships at Nanotemper, Jocelyn DeVe. Jocelyn has held marketing roles in both the technology and life sciences industries, including at Protein Simple and event software company Double Dutch. Welcome, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I really appreciate it. I know our listeners are really excited to hear what you've got to say, so this is great. Before we get started, I'd really appreciate it if you could just give a quick overview to Namno Temper for anybody that doesn't know.
1: Sure. Yeah, at Nanotemper Technologies, we build instrumentation and solutions for protein characterization. So, anything from measuring binding affinity to characterizing protein stability or even protein quality is sort of what we do at Nanotemper. We also just recently launched uh, Dianthus, which is a tool for
0: screening. Cool. Thank you. So, obviously, your role is in marketing at Nanotemper, but What does your typical day look like in terms of your function in your day-to-day role?
1: So at Nanotemper, basically, I try to focus on four things in the day-to-day. So first thing I actually do is I check how much pipeline we've generated relative to our marketing goals that we've set for the quarter. I usually check in with the team to make sure that they are also progressing towards the goals that they've set. For themselves and for the team during the quarter. Most of the time, I think mostly about, you know, are we doing the right things, meaning the executing on the right marketing programs for our business. So that's something that I just constantly think about. And then I also think about what other industries or verticals that could possibly use our technology. Oh, wonderful. So when yeah. you say, say that you're looking
0: at what are the right things to do, how do you make that decision?
1: Yeah, basically, I try and take in a number of factors. I would say that, you know, it's all based on how we're doing as a team. So we have a dashboard that we look at every day. It shows us how many opportunities we're generating for the sales team. And so I think terminology-wise, we could also have a discussion about that. But basically for us, opportunities are we are MQLs that have been passed over to sales. Um, so kind of based on like what's happening from week to week or month to month, it's, you know, do we have a steady stream of opportunities coming through or MQLs coming through? Okay. So are they you okay. possibly progressing to the next stage and then kind of how how are they doing from that point on? Mm-hmm.
0: So you mentioned that you look at the dashboard every day. Do you refine programs as they're running? Or do you wait till the end when you evaluate?
1: It depends on which program we're running. So sometimes let's just say like, I think email marketing is probably the easiest thing to change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you send out an email to part of your database, we do things like A-B testing. Email subject lines, um, and so we can decide which subject line to use moving forward, or even test out a small group of people to see it. did anyone open the email and or click on any of the CTAs, and if not, let's just quickly change the language and try something else. So I think that's probably more of a an immediate type of change you can make. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, for much bigger, more extensive programs, we'll wait till the end to see, you know, digest what has happened. Did we get the results we wanted? The dashboard that you mentioned, do you build that yourself
0: or is it an off-the-shelf solution?
1: Uh, we basically use uh, Salesforce as yeah. our reporting tool. And with that, from a marketing perspective, we have connected Pardot. We've built our own dashboard to suit our needs. Mm-hmm. There certainly are some that are off the shelf, which you probably can adjust, Um, but I have been using Salesforce for quite a number of years, and so I have sort of the (laughs) reports that I want to display, and so we just kind of do it manually. Mm -hmm. We also have set up our system. Of course, you kind of have to work within how you've set up Salesforce, Mm -hmm. so you have to be very familiar with fields, and if you have any custom fields that you've kind of created, Uh, So kind of knowing that you can create, we've created our own dashboards, just kind of based on the fields we've built.
0: Thank you. So you alluded to a tech stack there that you've got Salesforce, you've got Pardot. What other kind of technologies do you have? And do you find them sort of, because there's so many, do you find them overwhelming? And how do you decide which to focus on?
1: Yeah. So my uh, philosophy is to use as few tools as possible. Like you said, there are so many and it can get very complicated. Many of them kind of worked with e- work with each other. And so the reason why I try to use as few tools as possible is because it takes a person to manage it. And so based on all of the other activities we have going on, time to manage a tool should be taken into account. And so I'm very cautious of using up, you know, kind of the time on my team to just manage software. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a stack, we primarily rely on Pardot for um, marketing automation, and we have other website analytics tools that we also use. We have a tool called Uberflip that we use for our resource center. Uh, We use WordPress for our website. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the kind of the major tools. Of course, social. Um, We use Hootsuite um, in order to help us manage all of our social channels at once. Um, because there are very many. In terms of social for scientific
0: marketing, which channels do you actually find have an impact for you?
1: So our primary channel is LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, I find for us, that's where most people live in our industry. Though when it, when it comes to events, Twitter is the choice for oftentimes for conferences. Uh, Facebook is also very popular because... In other countries, uh, Facebook is kind of the primary place where people live. And Mm -hmm. I think over time it's sort of evolved because Facebook originally was more for personal reasons. But I think more scientists nowadays are using it for professional reasons as well. Mm -hmm. Have you you
0: had any challenges internally um, encouraging your company to adopt social? Has there been any skepticism?
1: People use it to varying levels. For us, it's actually one of the things that our CEO, Stefan Jor, and our other co-CEO, Philip Basque, they firmly believe in the power of social. Mm -hmm. So they they also encourage people, whether you're in sales support, marketing, even engineering, uh, they encourage everyone to use it. We also have set up a tool, actually. We call it the morning cup. And every time we have something to post, we put it in the morning cup and we share it with the, the whole team. And then they can choose to ultimately copy and paste and then edit the text themselves or um, also use the images that we provide. So we try to make it as easy as possible for people to share. Oh, um, I love it. I love it. What technology do you use to share that with your teams? We actually internally use Asana. Uh, yeah. So we use Asana as a project management tool and everybody's on it. So that's where we kind of store all the things that we share from a marketing perspective. Wonderful. So are you a
0: scientist or a marketer by background?
1: I'm actually a scientist by background, um, which is, I think, very common in our industry. Mm-hmm. So I did research for about seven years at varying levels Uh And, you know, anywhere from undergraduate to going into industry, um, I have a master's in molecular biology and immunology from Johns Hopkins. From there, I just kind of knew that I wanted to do something science related, but not quite continue to be at the bench because I felt like I needed more interaction with people, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of the bench. And so I actually went into sales first And, um, I did that for about seven years selling anywhere from reagents and, you know, walking the halls back in the day to selling capital equipment and instrumentation to researchers. And then I felt like I was also a little bit more creative than, and my job didn't quite satisfy that. So Mm -hmm. from a creative level, i Decided I would move into marketing because I could kind of use all of my background. I could use my research background, as well as my sales skills that I developed over the years, and then also uh, kind of incorporate that creative side of of me that I I I didn't really get to use in my sales days.
0: So that transition from sales into marketing—did you find that a challenge without any sort of formal marketing training?
1: Not really, only because for as a sales rep oftentimes you have to create your own collateral mm-hmm. so in a way you're you're actually a marketer without necessarily calling yourself that mm-hmm. so slides as an example are things that you oftentimes have to customize depending on who your audience is so i think in a way you touch marketing from a, a sales perspective so it isn't as difficult to come from a sales background to go into marketing But I would say the challenge is more going from like the scientific background to becoming a marketer. I Mm -hmm. think that is a bigger leap.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, when we started our conversation, you were talking a lot about sort of evaluating the impact of your marketing. At what point in your marketing career did you start to sort of think about the analytics side of it rather than just the creative and the collateral? Sort of. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, for me, it really wasn't as big of a deal until I was in charge of driving demand for Double Dutch, which is the mobile app for events um, type of product. It wasn't until then that I really understood the power of analytics because as heading a demand gen team, you're always having to constantly prove that what you're doing has an impact on the business. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really quite appreciate it until then. Right. And
0: coming into, back into the scientific market and bringing that skill set, did you feel any resistance from your team or from your colleagues about trying to change the nature of how people do marketing?
1: Yeah. So I actually, during the interview process, made it clear what I was going to do if I were to join Nanotepper Technologies. From the very get-go, I sort of set the stage for setting up analytics and how important that is to our business and also kind of pushing the envelope from the creative side of marketing. Part of that was just to ensure that I would have some sort of freedom to be able to set up the marketing team at NanoTemper to be as successful as we could possibly be. Mm -hmm. So, And the first thing that that I did was purchase Pardot. (laughs) It was the first tool that I convinced our CEO we needed. Um, And was the first contract I signed, in fact, um, after having joined Nanotemper because it's that important to us. And to me, it's the central location for where we continue to gather all of our analytics for all of our programs and also to show and prove how we're contributing to the business, how how much we're impacting Nanotemper's business. And so it's important. It was important for me to ensure that we were setting that up correctly from the very Mm get-go. What goes along with that, though, is also making sure that your Salesforce instance is also set up correctly. So we sort of went through revamping Salesforce to include the ability to plug in our marketing automation system into Salesforce. And then also making sure that the reporting that we wanted to do was all set up correctly and that we had the proper fields in order to ensure that we could generate these reports and and build these dashboards.
0: Interesting. So how long did that process take from uh, deciding on Pardot to being able to get the kind of reports out that you need?
1: I would say it was about a six month process, but just to set it up, Mm -hmm. but you know, you have to fine tune it over time. It never really works the first time you set things up. Mm -hmm. So I think comfortably it took us about a year, almost a year and a half to kind of get it to a point where we weren't tweaking it anymore. Like we weren't tweaking Salesforce and we weren't, you know, having to tweak Pardot to eventually get to a place where we could rely on our analytics.
0: Right. Um, So,
1: you know, um, but majority of the work was done in the first six months.
0: Okay. So, what big learnings did you take out of that process? That if somebody was about to embark on this kind of project, what would you tell them or recommend that they consider?
1: Yeah, really having the proper people in place to be able to execute on both the marketing automation side as well as the sales operations side when it comes to Salesforce. They aren't exactly the most easiest to understand. And so it's good to have someone who has some experience with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've rebuilt these types of instances three times. So, <laughs> so you know, by the third time, you kind of learn from your mistakes the mm-hmm. first and second time. And thankfully, um, so I, I not only have experience with Pardot, but I also have experience with Marketo. And um, thankfully, when I had rebuilt Marketo once before, I had an agency help me, and I learned so much from that agency in how to set things up, kind of best practices, and how to use marketing. Automation tools and kind of learning what it can and cannot do. Those are all very important things to learn Before you even set up your instance It's really like how, what are you expecting to do with it and to making sure that you have that knowledge in advance? Because there are various options out there for you to choose from and depending on how advanced you want to get, um, I think certain tools are better than others. So I think having that in mind, like how how far do you want to push the limits with your marketing automation tool, I think is important to know. And then picking the right tool to go and to coincide with what you want to accomplish is, is also very important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I know one thing that a lot of people say is, working out in advance who's going to be looking at the success of the programs internally and getting their perspective of what data they're going to want out of it up front. So you mentioned before about the different people who evaluate the impact of what you do internally. Mm-hmm. Who takes a look at that? Is it just at your CEOs or does your the finance team also look at that as well?
1: In our company, it's pretty much just our CEO. Um, so i work for chef on Philip is more on the R and D and product development side of things. Mm -hmm. And so I talk to him occasionally about it, but mostly with chef on and, uh, he subscribes to our dashboard on Salesforce. And so he is always, I make sure that he's always aware of what's going on and anytime we update the dashboard I always make sure that I tell him what's been updated or what has changed mm-hmm. so that when he's looking at it he can understand the data without have me having to walk him through it every single time and I think over time he's since we look at it every quarter together and I always report to him every quarter on how we're doing that he's gotten used to kind of what our dashboard looks like and what Take a, key takeaways uh, just based on glancing at the dashboard, like what does it mean for us in our business?
0: Yeah. Understood. And was he involved in setting the metrics that you review or does he just, he, he takes what you provide him?
1: Uh, no, he was very much involved. It was for us a negotiation. Mm-hmm. So because it's so important to the business. So it's, here's what the important data that's important and he also gave input on what he wants to see as part of the business metrics that we report on. So kind of combined, we put together the dashboard and we made sure that we had the reporting that we needed to Wonderful. be able to make decisions. Okay. So, so we've talked a lot about
0: email marketing and we've touched on social. How do you evaluate the impact of the offline marketing that you do, the PR, the brand, the conferences? How do you approach that?
1: We keep all of our metrics in Pardot and and ultimately Salesforce, but um, I think it starts with understanding what your goals are for events. And so for us, for, for conferences, it's to find new people that we have not seen before who aren't in our database. It's to generate brand awareness. And it's also to find, hopefully, people who are interested in your product and people who are interested in talking to the sales team. Mm -hmm. So kind of based on, on those things, we take a look at after a show has been completed, even a year later, we kind of look back at some of the metrics. And oftentimes we evaluate Exactly that net new names, but also how many opportunities or MQLs did we source from that event? How many did we actually influence? So if they were already an opportunity in our in Salesforce, was that an additional touch point that kind of helped move them forward? And so we consider those influence types of activities. And so we look at the associated dollar value that is associated with any of those opportunities. And we look at how much revenue have we influenced or sourced. And then, yeah, how many net new names. Brand awareness is one of those things that's very difficult to pinpoint because oftentimes at events, you know, someone might walk by your booth and they may not even stop by and talk to you. But they might then pull out their phone and navigate to your website Mm-hmm. And so that's a brand awareness kind of activity that's very difficult to track. So some of it we believe that brand awareness is oftentimes part of what happens when you're at exhibiting at a conference. And so we don't necessarily try or even attempt to <laughs> drive any type of analytics for brand awareness. We just kind of have this belief that it it all feeds into the same system, that brand awareness is definitely important to our company, but trying to measure it is not that easy to do.
0: You mentioned, obviously, a lot of the different touch points across both the customer lifecycle of their journey that they might touch your marketing in multiple different ways. How do you evaluate that?
1: It's definitely important to, over time, make sure that you have an attribution model. So there's things like first touch attribution, uh, last touch attribution, second to last touch attribution, multi touch attribution. so there's different ways to kind of slice and dice information and so what goes into that model obviously are all the different touch points where people where you have seen people whether that be downloading content from your website or them visiting your booth or did sales reps give them a call or send them an email Did we do some sort of marketing campaign to them? So every single touch point should go into your attribution model. So first touch attribution is important because it helps you see where all your new names or your opportunities were initially sourced from. Mm -hmm. And then the last touch attribution model helps you to, to see what was that last activity that kind of pushed them over into an opportunity or into a, a marketing qualified lead where they were able, they raised their hand and said, Hey, I want to talk to sales. So that activity is also important to keep track of. But sometimes that activity can be an email, which isn't always, um, you know, and it might be an email that promoted a piece of content. And so oftentimes people look at the second to last touch point because. The second to the last touch point was the email, and the last touch might have been downloading a piece of content, perhaps. There's different models you can kind of keep track of. But so
0: Do you use a
1: combination of models? Do you have a formula that you like to use? You have to pay attention to three different models, because they all teach they all tell you different things. If you rely on one or the other, you're not going to see the full picture. It's difficult to make decisions based on one or the other model. You sort of have to look at all three.
0: So we've started touching on the crossover between sales and marketing here, Mm -hmm. and that often raises a big flag for people when they start to think about, well, if you're dealing with data and you're starting to talk about sales, you're talking about people, Mm -hmm. how would you handle that for data protection and GDPR? So I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how you guys approach GDPR with your data
1: Yeah, for sure. So we're very strict about it. Our company is based out of, headquartered out of Munich. Mm -hmm. So it, we're really very important to us. So from a data protection perspective, we've had to actually adjust a lot of what we have done in the past where we've had to ensure that our policy on our website is updated and correct and that people are aware of how we're handling their data we mm-hmm. also have to make sure it's especially in Europe that people have opted in to receive marketing material so we've had to change some of our forms to ensure that people aren't sent material if they haven't agreed to it we've also had to ungate a lot of our content that we have in the past gated because you sort of have to ask them every single time whether or not you can collect their data for that one particular item that they're downloading. So you can't use that same sort of acceptance of that one piece of collateral for, let's say, an invitation to an event you might be having locally. You sort of have to be very careful about how you handle the information so we've actually had to change a lot of our processes and we document is exactly like our process from a marketing perspective to a sales perspective where does that data move where does that information move like what systems does it live in and so we've had to document all of that along the way to ensure that if someone ever says hey i don't want to be in your database anymore that we know exactly where they have been within our system and that we can remove them and so we've been very careful about the tools that we also buy and make sure that they're GDPR compliant. Because the last thing you want is to have a tool sort of collecting information without your knowledge, mm-hmm. because you don't have a lot of control over kind of pulling their information from those tools if if they don't really allow you access to doing that. So you, you also have to kind of investigate tools anytime you look into getting a new one. When it happened also, you know, everyone on the marketing side was very kind of in a panic mode, I would say, Mm -hmm. because you sort of feel like, oh, you're being handicapped now from using all these great kind of tools that can help you as a marketer. And Mm -hmm. so it's forced just to kind of reinvent how we're doing marketing, at least on kind of like tracking things and making sure we're asking permission. So we've, we've definitely had to rethink all of the things that we've been doing.
0: Oh, fantastic. Thank you. So
1: I ask all of our interviewees uh, the next
0: three questions, and I'm really interested in hearing your response. So, So your first, what's your biggest marketing failure over your career? And how did you sort of define the failure and evaluate it in that sense?
1: Yeah, so I might be answering this question slightly differently, because I sort of define failure as If you're doing something and you really haven't learned from it, then Mm -hmm. I would consider that a failure. As long as you're always learning about what you're doing, you really can't fail. And so that's kind of my own personal philosophy and one that I impart on my team. What that does is it helps you to take risks Mm -hmm. and it helps you to constantly reinvent what you're doing. And because in marketing, things can't always stay the same. If you do a program and it's successful, it's almost a guarantee that if you do it again, you're not going to see the same success because you sort of have to keep changing and keep doing things. And marketing changes so much. All the tools change so much. What people respond to changes often. So I think that as long as you're doing something and you're learning from it that you really can't fail. And that's really interesting in the context of our discussion about evaluating the
0: success of marketing is if you're always monitoring and you're seeing things are not going the way you expected, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. And people shouldn't be scared of this data that's coming out because if you want to know earlier and you want to change what you're doing
1: completely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one thing that is a constant with marketing is that things are always going to change. And I feel like if you're afraid of that, it makes it very difficult to really hone your skills, right? To really Mm -hmm. hone in on what is working for marketing for your particular product or your particular company that you should really not be afraid of analytics. They're actually, it's really your friend now, with that, I will say that analytics isn't the be-all, end-all of, of things. You have to use it as a guide because there is still kind of other factors that that kind of lead into maybe a marketing program that you ran. Like I said, there's things that, that happen offline that you can't track.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: those analytics may not be able to tell you the complete story. They can tell you maybe some, some of the story, but you also have to know and understand that other marketing programs that you're running might have an impact on that marketing program that you're actually like evaluating. And so there's, to a certain extent, there's the unknown that that may be impacting your program. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of can't completely 100% rely on the analytics. You sort of have to do a gut check and say, okay, does this make sense to me? I love that. It's the combination of
0: the technology, the machine learning, but that can only take you so far. It's the human that Brings, that brings it together and I love that because a lot of people are afraid of this and what, what it will do to their roles.
1: Yeah, and you sort of when we talked about who's looking at the analytics and, and what's important to them, it's good to have a good understanding with your CEO or whoever you're, you're showing the analytics to it's important to sort of make sure that they understand what th- those analytics represent that they only represent a portion of the story. They don't represent the complete story. And Mm -hmm. so as long as that person that you're talking to understands that, then you can both evaluate how well did a program run or how well is the marketing team doing relative to the goals that you set. Mm -hmm. So were there any programs that you've run that you've just gone, God, that that
0: was a really bad idea (laughs) afterwards.
1: Oh, for sure. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, we've sent out emails and like gotten no response. (laughs) Oh yes. Silence, deafening silence. Oh, for sure. The ultimate achievement or the ultimate goal for any program is to generate an MQL or generate an opportunity that ultimately ends up as a generating revenue for the company. Right. Mm -hmm. But what you can't, dismiss are all the kind of little analytics along the way. Like a click-through rate can tell you, okay, was that a good CTA? Like maybe your just the wording in your CTA was wrong, or Mm. maybe the subject line in your email was wrong. And so I, I feel like all these kind of little analytics, the components that make up maybe a full program and evaluating that full program are just as important. Like you can't dismiss kind of those uh <laughs> those kind of little wins i guess if you want to call it that because you can use those little wins for the next let's say email program that you're running and then tweak the other part that maybe you thought didn't work and so you're sort of teaching yourself along the way and your team is learning along the way on how to continue to do marketing better
0: wonderful so if you could ask your peers one question So anybody else working in life science marketing to learn from their experience, what would that question be?
1: Yeah. Mine, I think, is more about like, what do you do to stay inspired? So marketing is always changing. Coming up with new words um, Mm -hmm. is always difficult to say the same thing in a way that maybe someone has never said it before is always the challenge. And so staying inspired is interesting and how people, other people are able to achieve that inspiration to me is one of the most interesting things to know about people.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because our industry tends to be quite internally focused. We look at who our com- what our competitors are doing
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's hard to be inspired when you all end up doing the same thing over and over again so it's so important to look outside the industry and right. I know you touched on that earlier about um, how important that is for you as well what kind of resources do you use to help keep you sort of up to date and mm-hmm. learning from what's going on outside
1: yeah, I do very simple things. Like when I'm driving down the freeway and I see a billboard, I always digest like which billboards are the ones that have gained my attention
0: mm-hmm. and
1: why. And I just try to digest the elements. Was it color? Was it the design? Was it a specific word? Was it the question they asked or Yeah, it's kind of like those types of things. So billboards, magazines, my favorite magazine is Wired Magazine. Mm -hmm. So I'd look at that. I also watch YouTube quite a bit, which I like to watch music videos. Um, I like to watch commercials for other products outside of our industry. So that's kind of how I stay inspired and I try to learn from other companies. And I really just try to internally ask myself, why did I like that? why did that catch my attention? And I can tell you uh, videos I've seen over 10 years ago that I still remember or an experience that I had at an event that I still remember from like five years ago. And those are the things that I also try to pay attention to. And I might pull ideas even from things that I saw, you know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I might try and use them today. Um, I sort of store them in my, the back of my mind. And I say to myself, oh, I really liked that campaign. One of these days I'm going to use it for some marketing campaign that we're doing at Nanotemper. And um, so oftentimes my ideas have come from past years. And oh. it's just the right time to try it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate the time that you've given us and the insight. I hope that we'll get to see you at some sort of industry events coming up, but there's some great conferences that I know that you and I have talked about for for marketing people both in life sciences and outside.
1: Yes, uh, definitely.
0: I'm going to write a post on some of these resources so I will add them in and then hope to see you at some of these conferences. So it'd be yeah. really great.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a great time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take care. You too.